Hi, hey, hello. Welcome to episode 25. That's right, 25. Despite our little title snafu um, after Western States, this is in fact episode 25 of Trail Society brought to you by our friends over at Free Trail. I'm Corinne Malcolm. I'm Keely Henninger. And I'm Hillary Allen. And everyone sounds excited about their names once again. Um, but before <laughs> we dive into some news and some running results that have happened since we last chatted, um, we wanted to touch base a little bit about um, one of our leading sponsors helping support this podcast, that being the folks over at Athletic Greens. I don't know about you guys, but I actually was out of coffee this morning, so I had to have something before my run and Athletic Greens filled that niche so perfectly. I felt great. I'm wondering um, how has, you know, is it been your morning routine? I know Keely, you are using Athletic Greens like at the trailhead. Um, when are you shaking that green bottle up? <laughs> yeah, my green bottle is definitely like a mid-morning snack. So it's either after exercise or right now because I'm not exercising, I'm just using it as a way to get some nutrients and some protein like as my second breakfast because I wake up so early that I can't go from like 5:30 or 6 till noon without a snack. So my go-to snack right now is just some protein mixed with athletic greens and it's perfect. That's kind of what you were doing too, Hill, right? The the protein, the protein athletic greens mix up combo. Yeah. And actually, um, this week I had, a um, I, I did actually something really funny. So I, um, I had like a, a run that I was doing and it was kind of like a weird time. I started around like nine 30 or 10. And so I rode my bike to the trailhead and I had my like recovery mix, like ready for me. And I was like, hmm, I want to take this with me so I can have it right after the run. And so what I did is I, like, I put it in my, uh, my bike bottle, like an insulated bottle. So I just like kept it cool. Um, like had the athletic greens in there. And so then as soon as I finished my run, I just had my, my little green smoothie drink and I felt great that I could just like go on with the rest of my day and like continue my bike commuting. <laughs> it was awesome. I love it. And that kind of fits their MO of kind of being this like nutritional safeguard, right. To take ownership over your health and, and kind of pick up those daily, you know, nutrients that we're all needing a little bit of an insurance policy. So if you would like to try athletic greens, you can hop on over to their website with your purchase. You're going to get a free one-year supply of immune supporting vitamin D. It's in a cool little dropper. Um, I prefer the little dropper over taking the big old vitamin D pills that if you live in the Northern hemisphere, like we do, um, you definitely need it all winter <laughs> and apparently all summer. Cause we are not getting sunshine in the PNW, but again, you're going to hop over to athleticgreens.com slash trail society. Um, again, that's athleticgreens.com slash trail society to get your, um, first athletic greens purchase and vitamin D supplement dropper. Okay. <laughs> news, 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 news. If any of you are not following the, so Sportswire puts out a, like a newsletter and I got like keyed into the women's specific Sportswire newsletter. And it's like one part business updates, one part philanthropic updates, one part sponsorship contract updates. It's cool. It's got a little bit of everything, including like some new, like some job bulletin stuff. So it's got a bunch in it. That's a Sportswire, um, women's specific newsletter. And they're kind of helping me keep track of things that are going on. Um, in the news. And we mentioned how Aura Ring um, last, or I guess basically as soon as Roe was overturned, they came out and said, Hey, we're protecting your information. We're not, this is your information. It's not anyone else's information um, because there's a lot of concern around menstrual and fertility tracking apps being, you know, data that's ripe for the picking in a lot of ways. And so the flow app 
it's a menstrual cycle tracking app. So it basically just lets you manually enter when your menstrual cycle occurs. And then it kind of learns off of your responses and when you track it. And so it kind of then can let you know um, when your most fertile window is and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So an app that's been really handy for lots of people, but they were working on an anonymous mode to help make sure that privacy of that data was, was kind of better or more official. And then the announcement of Roe being overturned kind of expedited that. And so they've gone public with this, with this, with this feature, this anonymous mode to help protect everyone's data um, because users had expressed concern about how third parties might be able to access user health data from digital devices and digital services. Um, such as flow, um, which I totally get, right? I think that was on a lot of our minds being like what third-party apps or third-party entities are going to have access to this information. Um, so, you know, kind of once again, data privacy is a big issue. It's always been a big issue, but I think that's being highlighted more in this now like post-Row era. So nice, warm, warm, fuzzy feelings for everyone today. Yeah. So excited. D- data privacy. Mm. <clears throat> um, well, it's okay. good. I mean, you shouldn't feel like, you know, tracking your menstrual cycle or tracking your ovulation is going to, you know, jeopardize you in any sort of way. So I'm really glad that these brands are are taking this as an opportunity to ensure the privacy of this data. Yeah, it's really, it's really, really important. I've got friends who are interested in this space from like a legal perspective. And I think it's, they're going into a good line of work because I think data privacy has been a big issue with some well, like with a company like Strava, for example. Um, Molly Seidel brought that up this past year, feeling like you know the privacy thing was a big issue and a big deal. People were showing up to her workouts. That would freak me out. Mm-hmm. So data privacy, data security is going to become an increasingly uh, more demanding field, I think, in this in this new this new era that we are entering. Um, that might be surprising to a lot of our male listeners, but this is something that I think female runners and female identifying individuals and other people who might feel more targeted. This is something that I think we've all been thinking about for a very long time. So welcome to our world. Um, The other thing that I found really interesting, and I'm not sure if it's the right answer, and I'm not sure if it's controversial, um, but British Triathlon announced that they have created an open category, which will allow transgender athletes to compete at all levels. And this is going to be for anyone over the age of 12 who's competing in events that are timed and or have prizes. And so essentially they're going to a two category thing, an open category. And this is in in quotes for all individuals, including male, transgender, and those non-binary who were male sex at birth can compete in the open category. And then there'll be a second protected category, the female category. And this will apply only for those. And then in quotes, um, who are female sex at birth, the policy will apply to any race that is timed or has prizes. And further, you know, the organization says that they will not tolerate transphobic behavior and that they polled UK triathletes and that that people were in favor of this of this move and i just i found it really interesting cuz i think it it does kind of fix some some things that i think athletes are dealing with but at the same time like is this an answer is this a band-aid is this the future you know is this the best way to do this other races gravel races for example have have like a non-binary category or an additional mm-hmm. category. Um, so I'm just wondering if you, if, if in hearing about this now for the first time, possibly, you know, do you have any like immediate thoughts or feelings about how, how that could be implemented even like, let's say in the trail and ultra running space or yeah. should it be implemented? 
You know, I think it's a really good question. Like, is this, what is this? Is this like, like a bandaid or is it the future? Right. And I mean, I've been listening to various conversations and topics around this. So um, this decision, I don't think is, is like news to, to me, but I think it's really interesting. And I, I do, I actually tend to agree with it because I do think that um, although gender can be non-binary, right? Like there is this, this, when we look at science and like the sex at birth and like going through, you know, we haven't talked about the nuances, but you know, male puberty, whatever. Like, I think it's, it's actually really empowering to have a separate category, whether that's called open or there needs to be a different label to it. Um, I think having a separate category actually celebrates that like, there is, there's a difference because, um, although like there's differences between men and women and, and if we're looking on the scale of, of gender, right. If it's on a scale, there are differences. Yeah, it's like, not, it's not, it's not this binary system that we've exactly. all operated in for so, our entire yeah, lives. I think it's actually really cool if we're going to actually have a separate category, um, because then, and I love that it's included like from young kids, right? Because this is something that as we're learning, it's not just like that happens after you're 18, right? It can happen before puberty or after puberty. So having that category open, I think could have a cool effect, right? For kids to grow up in this space and like what that means for them in the future in sport. Like, I like that it's not exclusionary, yeah. right? That's not, the answer isn't simply like, well, transgender athletes can't compete or non-binary athletes can't compete or people right. who've gone through hormone replacement therapy can't compete. Like they're giving, there's an avenue to competition there, which I think is important. Cause I think you're right with young kids, for example, they've just been like, well, there's no place in sport for you. Sorry. Yeah. And that that's... to me does not seem like an answer. And so no. <laughs> I just, I just don't know if the language is inclusive for that community. And I like mm-hmm. that piece and I'm curious to, to hear feedback from is from the transgender community, from the non-binary yeah. community, from anyone who identifies different than their, than their sex at birth. And, you know, does that, do they feel included in that? Mm-hmm. Right. Is open. Okay. For non-binary. Is that where they yeah. feel like they yeah. want to compete? Like that to me is just a really interesting question that I do not have the experience mm-hmm. in or the answers to. Yeah. And I mean, I think it is a good step in the right direction as they're saying they won't tolerate transphobic behavior. I think we all need to go towards that. Right. But yeah, I think to your point, like, is it, is it sufficient to say your sex at birth is how we're going to like classify you or, or is this going to necessitate something a little more tailored? Right. Because right now it is still a binary system. There's still only two categories. It's open or it's female based off of what you're born with. And so to me, I don't think this is the answer, but again, I don't think, you know, when we were dealing with other minority groups or other new groups in sport, I don't think we had the answer right away either, but I think trying different things is going to be, you know, necessary to figure out the best way. And so when I first read this, I was like, I don't think this is going to be, you know, what we settle on because obviously gender at birth is different than what these um, non-binary and transgender individuals want to be or identify with later or are undergoing hormone therapy to become. But I do think just acknowledging it is a good step in the right direction. Um, But I would be interested to see how this will evolve over time and how maybe it will necessitate the, you know, inclusion of a third category, right? Or maybe two more categories where it's like, this is the, you know, I don't know what that entails yet, but I I don't think this is maybe the right answer, but, but I do think it's a step in the right direction. Yeah. And I think every sports authority and sporting organization has kind of been given the the green light to, to not necessarily form their own rules, but to, to at least have kind of have some say in their own rules. And that is probably good and bad, right? Mm-hmm. Cause some organizations yeah. probably will make decisions that many of us will not agree with. Um, so yeah, I'm interested to kind of keep, keep your, my ears open and my, 
my learning cap on, so to speak, as far as like understanding how this works with British triathlon and, and is that taken up elsewhere? Is it implemented elsewhere? And how does that affect, um, other athletes? And if this, if, if this is something that, you know, doesn't necessarily directly impact you because you're not a British triathlete, but you know, you are non-binary, you are transgender. I'd be very curious to hear, mm -hmm. um, from those athletes, just, you know, let us know how this makes you feel. Like, is, mm -hmm. is this, are, are we headed the right direction? Right. Um, is this totally <laughs> off base? Um, yeah. let us, let us know. Cause I think that we could, um, th like those voices are incredibly valuable mm -hmm. to us. Yeah. Kind of like pulling off a previous interview we did with Richard is it's like, is this on, on brand or is this completely like people who are not, um, like educated in this space, trying to put a bandaid on something and they're actually like completely off mark. So yeah, yeah, I think drawing from that community, like, how does this make you feel? How far off is it? How far on is it? Like it's good steps in the right direction. I agree. Um, without further ado, we're going to jump into some races. This is being recorded ahead of um, like Valderon, Valderin is happening this weekend by UTMB. Um, there's a race in Verbier in Switzerland that's happening. There's, there's a bunch of other races happening this weekend. Um, so note, this is, this is being recorded before that there's a bunch of really exciting big international races coming up, but, um, there are a bunch of really cool races that happened, um, this past weekend. And a lot of them in the, in the short category, the short trail category, which I think deserves a lot of coverage and praise. And, the one, I don't know if you guys tried to watch the live stream. I watched a little bit of it, but the Mount Marathon, 4th of July, shebang in Seward, Alaska mm -hmm. has got, has got to be the hardest 5k in the entire world. Does anyone want to describe Mount Marathon for those who might not be familiar listening to this? Uh, I mean, I've never been, but I've, I've definitely watched the live streams. Uh, basically, uh, you're going straight up a mountain and straight down, but, uh, I would describe it as no trail, like pick your own adventure, scree slopes. Uh, they have a section called cliffs versus roots, and you get to choose which one is the fastest, which oftentimes involves falling down or, you know, basically just like climb your way up the mountain. It's pretty intense. I would say it's like sky running, uh, an extreme, definitely like a VK up and a VK down. So if you don't know what that is, like, like climbing basically 3000 feet straight up as fast as you can and falling down the mountain <laughs> as fast as you can. And in some years, I think there's no snow on the mountain this year, which I think oftentimes is faster just because you get to glissade. It's a little bit less traumatic, maybe at least initially on your quads. And then it's also been really, really dry in Alaska. So the course was not mm. quote, in quotes as soft as usual. And so I think when you're trying to barrel down scree, that softness mm. becomes important a little bit out there. Um, but it was, it was bonkers. I think we'll start with the women new course record, Allie, Mack, ah. Allie McLaughlin threw down. And I was like, man, will she be able to hold on to the finish of this? Like it's her rookie. It's her rookie attempt at Mount marathon. Like notoriously people can get up it pretty fast. If you've never seen it before, but getting down it really fast, having never seen it before can become like a life or death scenario a little bit. And so she made it up two minutes under Emily Forsberg's uphill record. And then Dang. I ended up finishing about 40 seconds or so, I think ahead of Emily's record at the, at the end. So she, she did not have the fastest descent time of the day. The second place female, um, Hannah LaFleur, who I think has won the last two iterations of the race actually had the fastest descent and was like 80 seconds faster than Allie on the downhill. But Allie won. She broke Emily Forsberg's course record she was like five minutes ahead of second. Hannah LaFleur, who lives in Seward, was second. And Christy Marvin, um, who's a mom, she's in her 40s. She's won this race before. 
um, was third, um, like 10 seconds behind Hannah LaFleur. Like it was bonkers and people look miserable finishing on the road into Seward, Alaska. Like they are, they're buckets. They're just five gallon buckets at the finish line that are all turned over. So people can like sit down on them and get hosed off. Cause they're covered in dust and dirt. It looks both awesome and horrible at the same time. It's great. Oh yeah. Not a race for me. Not a race for Keely or her ankle. Um, <laughs> I want to do it. I'm in, I've almost, I almost was able to go and do it, but that'd be the coolest thing to do on 4th of July. It's a party too. Like it's yeah. 24 hours of daylight up there at this point in the year, generally speaking. So it's just like you're at a bonfire at 2 AM and you're unaware because it is still daylight out. Um, Max King like threw down. I was hoping for a Max King, David Norris showdown, but David Norris is out with injury. Um, Max King won by about a minute, a little over a minute. Um, he, be, he broke the 40 to 49 year old record and he became the oldest ever winner of the men's race at 42. Mm-hmm. Um, so cool. super, super solid. And then he was followed by two Alaskans out of Anchorage, Thomas O'Hara and Lars Arneson. They, um, a lot of skiers do this race. It's always kind of fun to watch the the guys and gals finish because I feel like it doesn't look like your prototypical road race finish. It's a bunch of Alaskan skiers, generally speaking, and they're just covered in dirt and they, you know, they're, they're so, they're so incredibly strong. And so it was very fun to watch them all throw down some sprint finishes after a insane 5k race. Yeah. So insane. I say we go next year. Team, team, team trip to Alaska. We're in. Keely will be recovering from Western States so she can just be our chaperone. Yep. <laughs> I will just have all the snacks ready for everybody and not have to climb and descend that mountain. But that sounds great. I'm I'm in. <laughs> um, okay. Who wants to cover the USA track and field mountain running champs that were held at the Whiteface um mountain races in upstate New York and the Adirondacks last weekend? Good competition there too. I mean, I got it. Yeah. I mean, I feel like this was pretty fun to watch because it was a lot of repeat athletes from Broken Arrow. So a lot of people who threw down at Broken Arrow went back to the USATF mountain running champs and threw down there as well. So that was pretty cool. So we were seeing some familiar faces duking it out all day. We saw Andy Wacker again, Eli Hemming, Morgan Elliott. These were all guys that ran the vertical kilometer and the 26K at Broken Arrow, which was pretty sweet. Um, and the men's race was actually really interesting with Andy Wacker coming out on top at the very end. He ended up winning. Um, however, there was a guy that was leading the whole race, um, Demore, and he collapsed like a hundred yards from the finish line and had to accept a DNF, um, because he got attended to by paramedics. So our condolences and thoughts go to him because he was running a, so such a stellar race, um, and then unfortunately had a DNF. So he did not get first. Andy Wacker got first, which is awesome. I feel like he's on a roll this year. His consistency over the years is paying off. I feel like he's been slowly chipping away at this for years. So it's cool to see it finally kind of paying off. Um, and then second was Eli Hemming and third was Morgan Elliott. Again, these guys also were like top five at Broken Arrow and they were all kind of around the same space too. Cause like Broken Arrow, it was Andy and then Eli. Um, just they're going to be fast, fast friends hopefully <laughs> at this point since they're yep. going to keep racing each other. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be a solid team for USA um, for the world champs because they've all like been running a lot together. Hopefully they'll be able to kind of form a camaraderie and really rip it uh, for worlds. Um, and then for the ladies, again, it was at least Tabor Hemming came back um, from Broken Arrow. I can't remember if Rachel or Sophia were also at Broken Arrow. Sophia won the 26K and okay. Rachel Tomasic 
was top 10 in both the 26k and the vk but cool. but you know the, a second place here she runs for benefit no she runs for morale m- morale Yep. Merrill. Merrill. There we go. Morell's mm-hmm. a mushroom. Merrill is a shoe company. <laughs> We're doing great today. People are going to laugh. Morell is what I call the, the ore in Settlers of Catan. <laughs> Fun fact. Okay. <laughs> anyway. But anyways. <laughs> yeah. So for the ladies, Tabor Hemming came away with the national championship there, um, winning by a little bit over a minute to Rachel. And then third place was Sophia Lockley. So again, super stellar women's field. Those three will join Grayson Murphy, hopefully who's back from injury by November to go to worlds in Thailand. Um, so that'll be really, really exciting. Yeah. And there were some spots given out at the broken era sky races as well. I know the 52 K, um, guys and gals received entry for worlds. And some of them are concerned because they're like, we just ran a 52 K and now they want to start race the 80 K at worlds. Like Mm-hmm. Uh, not for me, maybe. Um, so we'll see kind of what the team ends up shaping out to be. I believe that loon mountain race this upcoming weekend, um, also, which we are recording ahead of, um, also should have some good throwdowns. And I believe there is also a world spot on the line at that race mm-hmm. as well. I think a lot of these athletes who just ran, um, the white face race are staying out to do loon mountain in new hampshire so that'll be mm, cool really cool to see and then um the dina fit veil hill climb was um also this past weekend and it was good to see janelle links get some redemption she did not have a good broken arrow after winning in 2021 um had a rough go at the 2022 broken arrow 26k i'm not sure what happened there um ended up taking a dnf i believe but to have came back won the dina fit veil hill climb um this past weekend and you know, that's, that seems to be promising. So hopefully maybe she's headed out to loon mountain or another race to, to get an entry onto that world championship team. Kelly, yeah. hit us with your FKT knowledge. Yeah. So, uh, this is a little <laughs> bit late, but hopefully, but it's a FKT in Europe. So, um, uh, Annelies Trousset, um, Segure, Segure, uh, she's, she's now married. Um, but Annelies Trousset, I've raced her for years, actually. She's a very talented, tr- traditionally, um, shorter distance runner, um, sky races. I think she had topped out at maybe like the 80 K, which is, I agree, very long, but like, you know, like 50 K to, to 80 K is kind of her max. Um, she, she lives in Annecy. She's a veterinarian. She's a new mom from this past year. Uh, and she just got the uh, FKT on the GR 20, which is basically a line, um, a through trail, uh, over Corsica. So it's a French Island. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm pretty sure people have seen this, this court, this route before, but it's 170 kilometers. It climbs, 12,690 meters. So it's a lot of climbing and she, and she, she took down the record. Um, it's held for a while. Um, and her time was 35 hours and 50 minutes and then I believe 40 seconds. Uh, so it's, I can't describe how burly this route is. Like I've done this, the GR 20 over the course of like a week, like backpacking and, it's just, you're just, it's, some of it is not even running. You're just like kind of scrambling on granite. And there's a lot of route finding just because of the nature of the trail or the quote trail. Um, and it, it's, it's just really cool. And traditionally people have had to have like, I think she has family there. She's visited the Island a lot, but it's just really cool. And, um, it's just awesome. Cause it's her longest effort and it's post, uh, her first baby. So that's really cool. 
Yeah. And I think, I think according to some Europe, European insiders that she'll be lining up at Grand Raid along the likes of, I think actually Camille, uh, Camille Brujas is supposed to do Grand Raid and Courtney DeWalter is supposed to do Grand Raid. So it could be quite a little race shaping up um, hmm. on Where's Love Reunion. Sorry. Uh, Love Reunion Island. Mm-hmm. It's and it's technical. burly. It's yeah, super very technical. technical. You can't have poles, even though there's just like, it's super steep. It's Martin trendy. told me you could have one pole. I'm not sure if that's true or not, but supposedly <laughs> you might not have true. one pole. What would that's one true. pole do? I don't know. But, break, break the downhill up a little bit, but it's, it's, it's <laughs> they call Madeira like Grand Raid Junior. Like yeah, the Madeira Island. Lots of Ultra stairs. Trail. Yeah. Lots of mm-hmm. stairs, just lots of climbing, just super techie on an island. And it's just very hot. So just like Madeira. But according to Courtney, she watched Dylan Bowman's free trail video of his run at Grand Raid last year and was like, that looks miserable. I'm in. (laughs) Um, So it's also, it's a hard rock qualifier. It's the end of October every year. And I think everyone that lives on the Island has run the race at some point in time. It's really, really cool. Mm -hmm. Um, It's on my bucket list, but the fact that you can't use poles just terrifies me. (laughs) I like, I like poles. Okay. Um, before we dive into a really cool interview that we have for you, we're going to give a shout out to one of our other sponsors that's helping make all this possible, bringing this to you week in and week out is the feed. Um, the feed is a subscription based or it has a subscription based model in which you can kind of get a snack box going for yourself every week, but really it's a one-stop shop for all of your nutrition needs. And I'm wondering, cause we all got to order our first nutrition's like snack boxes. And I'm wondering what people got. What'd you order? I got some salty <laughs> snacks. I got uh, some like, yeah, just some electrolytes because, you know, it's summer and uh, I sweat a lot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I went uh, like kind of the recovery route. So I got um, some protein powders and I also got some vital proteins, collagen peptides, which I love. I think those mix the best out of all of them, which are going to be really good for trying to get my tendons and ligaments, um, you know, healing quickly. And then also like nailed down some like breakfast snacks. So some coffee, some performance granola from picky bars, um, and just some like bars. But then the, the next thing I got was cause I'm coming to altitude. I got some thorn iron, like this glistenate. I don't know if I can say that correctly, but, uh, yeah, I'm going to try out the thorn project products. Cause my nutritionist actually says that thorn has some, some pretty good iron products. So I'll try to keep the anemia from setting in while I'm, while I'm living at 7,000 feet. So yeah, super, super important to supplement iron, particularly if you struggled with anemia in the past when you're living at elevation, but you know, always good to get that checked out by your physician. Um, I went breakfasty. I got picky bars, performance oatmeal. Cause I love it. Mm. And I got, which is great when we're like car camping too. Cause they, they come in like kind of individual packets. Um, the, like the new packets, like actually are like little cups. And so you can just like mm-hmm. pour your hot water right in and eat it out of the packet, which I love. Cause then I don't have to do dishes in our truck, which is excellent. Um, and then I also got some of the scratch, um, crisp, like rice crispy treats because I need something different in my life. Um, and what else did I get? I got something. Oh, the, the waffles, the like Boulder based, yeah. like Belgian waffle company. Mm-hmm. I've had them before when it was like went while staying with friends in Boulder and I needed like another quick breakfast thing of like, Oh my goodness. I just woke up. I like need to leave stride to the trailhead in the next 20 minutes. I need calories now. And so to have something that I can put in my freezer and reach for it and pull it out and kind of be good to go. 
um, was high on my mm-hmm. list and there it's like dessert for breakfast. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm excited for that to come. I think mine comes this next week sometime and I am yeah. looking forward to it. Uh, yeah. I have an, oh, I was That's just going to say, I have an insider tip for the scratch, uh, labs, uh, rice crispy treats. Just let them heat up a little bit, either in your pack or like in like your, like if you're cycling or whatever, like just somewhere on your body. Cause like, if they're a little bit warm, mm. it tastes so good. They're soft. Yeah. They like it soft. Yeah. It's, it's like, and then it's like gooey. <laughs> it's like so good. Yeah. They're definitely a little bit messy, but they're, it's kind of nice. Does something different than a waffle or a gel just to totally. mix it up periodically. So, yeah. And, and I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but the feed does kind of offer lower prices than other, other places to buy this kind of stuff. And then they also have like a subscription and save method that gives you another 15% off the stuff. So I found that the boxes are actually a lot cheaper than if you were to buy the stuff elsewhere, which is pretty cool. Oh yeah. And then someone like, I got like a text. I was like, Hey, I saw you're looking at this. Do you want me to check if there's a discount code? And I was like, yes. And I saved <laughs> me like 5% off of something that I bought awesome. and it was, it was great. Mm-hmm. So lots of deals going on there, particularly during the, the Tour de France, um, kind of themed themed ones. So like the scratch, uh, Rice Krispie bars were also like 15 or 20% off because of the tour. So, Yum. um, check them out. Um, we're having a, obviously a really good time with them. Um, but we're really excited to bring you an interview today. We haven't done like an interview breakdown podcast in a hot second. And, um, I went for a run with these two women in Seattle, uh, Lottie Albertson Junkins and Elizabeth Carey or Liz Carey, who are just incredible human beings. And I went for this run with them back in March and I was like, I need to have them on the podcast. We have to make this happen. Um, Ladia is an incredibly badass runner. She's a mom. She won Chuckin' Up this spring. She was fourth at Canyon's 100K. Um, she works as a research analyst um, in Washington. She lives in Snoqualmie. Elizabeth Carey is a runner, a coach. She's a writer. She writes like a weekly column for die stat and she covers like the hard topics. Like we cover hard topics. Liz covers the hard, sad topics. Like she's there for it. And she's like a, an advocate and an ally and is amazing. She also was the co-author of the, of the book girls running all you need to strive, thrive and run your best. And she's also an expecting mom, um, which was really, really fun because this is part one of our pregnancy series. And we wanted to explore this kind of personal relationship, personal experience that one goes through with their identity, with their running, with their bodies. I, you know, kind of pre-pregnancy during pregnancy and and postpartum and really get their personal perspective of, of it on it. And I think that's where they'd like us to start is that just to just right off the bat to, to say that like these, this is two women talking about their individual experiences and it's not going to look different or it's not, it's, it is going to look different for everyone going through this. Everyone is the same. <laughs> everyone is the same. All bodies are the same. Um, no. And so they, they do stress that as well, but we just want to stress that off the top that this is their experience. Um, and they talk about it in a really beautiful, thoughtful way. And we can't wait to share it with you. I'm Ladia Albertson Junkins. Thank you so much for having Liz and I on your show today. I'm just so tickled that you thought of us. Um, and I just adore both of you so much. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation. So I live on Snoqualmie Tribe Ancestral Lands, which is about 30 miles east of the Seattle area in Western Washington. I love running. I have an almost 18 month old now. Um, His name is Gabriel. And I also work as a data analyst for a healthcare organization here in the Washington area. 
Awesome. Um, hi, I'm Elizabeth Carey. I am a writer, a running coach, and an author of the book Girls Running that I wrote with Melody Fairchild. Um, I live in Seattle on occupied Duwamish territory, um, and I coach uh, cross-country and track at Garfield High School, and I also coach adults for trail, ultra, and road running adventures. Um, but I'm a freelance writer, and most frequently am a columnist for Diestat, um, writing about taboo topics. So I'm so excited to be here today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I feel very fortunate. I got to go on a run hike with the two of you not that long ago. Um, and we got to talking and I was like, this is an episode. This is going to happen. <laughs> so we're, we feel very fortunate that you all wanted to give us a little bit of your time um, on kind of an overcast Wednesday morning um, to sit down and record. And obviously, um, you know, you both, you both are in different phases of pregnancy and motherhood and parenthood. Um, Lottie, you just mentioned that you have an almost 18 month old and Liz, you are actively very pregnant um, <laughs> on your own pregnancy journey. And so I think, you know, we are predominantly a running podcast. We obviously talk about a lot of stuff, but I think that's where we're going to start this conversation. We're going to talk a lot about the evolving journey of pregnancy, the evolve the, the evolving, you know, journey that is your identity, um, like outside of running as well. And so to kick things off, I'm really curious for you both, kind of in your own different phases of this, you know, how has that relationship with running changed, evolved, progressed? Um, Lottie, you're kind of out the other side in a way. And so I guess just kind of getting your your impression first and then we'll we'll hear from Liz. Sure. It's interesting because I actually feel like in a lot of ways, my relationship with running hasn't changed at all. Um, running is something that I've loved to do for a very long time, and it's still something I really love to do. And I think, too, over the last 15 years in particular, I've tried to integrate running into a life that also includes working full time and prioritizing time with friends and family, and also exploring other interests and other hobbies and volunteering. And so in a lot of ways, I've been figuring out how to adjust and adapt my running to meet my values and how I want to spend my time for quite a while. And maybe that helped make the transition smoother for me than through pregnancy and now having a kid in my life. Um, so in that respect, my relationship with running hasn't changed at all, like my love for it. Um, certainly, I think the day-to-day -day reality of when I can run and what the running actually looks like and what racing might look like and whether I can sign up for all of the races that I necessarily want to do or what races I even want to do anymore. I think kind of those pieces maybe have evolved. Um, but the foundation of loving to do it. And thankfully I'm able to keep doing it at this point. Um, that really hasn't changed. I'm really curious, Liz, um, though, given that you are in the thick of pregnancy, how it's evolving for you. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of what you said resonates with me as well, because I've been running since I was 14. I'm currently 38. So that puts me in the quote unquote advanced maternal age, but my relationship with running has just evolved and changed so frequently over the years. 
Um, and there were some times, probably a couple of decades there, where it was a disordered relationship and not very healthy. It was something that I over-identified with. It was something that I did compulsively as opposed to just out of the pure joy of it. Um, and that was a part of a larger issue with disordered eating and distorted body image that all played together, right? Um, but I'm so lucky that running, much like writing in my life, has been this just thoroughfare, um, this thing that's always there. And before I've called it a river or I've called it a lifeblood. And it's something that I can come back to again and again in these different environments with these different sensations in my body after time off, right? So um, this is my second pregnancy and I'm um, nearing the end of my second trimester, which I'm like 24 weeks. A pregnancy is usually around 40 weeks. I never used to understand when people said weeks, what exactly that meant and where they were in space and time. Um, but I'm due in September. So, uh, there, that's kind of my orientation. But the first trimester was so rough. I was so nauseated. I was so tired that running was like the last thing on my mind. I was just trying to survive. And in my first pregnancy that ended in a miscarriage um, pretty early on in eight, at eight weeks, um, it was very different. I felt like running and I noticed these sensations in my body, which of course in the past might've been triggers for questioning my relationship with running or my identity with running. Um, but luckily I've been in this place of recovery uh, that it was just, I could be curious, I could be open and I could listen. So, you know, I went on this 16 mile uh, run on the Pacific Crest Trail that shouldn't have been that hard, but it was exhausting. And I got home and I was whipped and I was like, something's going on. Right. So for me, again, like Ladia, the, the relationship has stayed consistent, but it's still something like any relationship I need to keep working on. And I need to keep having a dialogue with myself about, and maybe other people, other experts in my life, other, you know, I, I talk to a therapist once a month. I talk to a registered dietitian, those types of things, those people, those pillars kind of keep me grounded in my recovery and also trail sisters and friends and people that I can chat with on the run. So I'm so grateful for that. So even if like my desire, more motivation or capability or the sensation and effort level is changing, uh, it's it's still there, which is awesome. And so it just looks differently, right? Um, now into my second trimester, I've been able to run a bit. Uh, I'm not going to say it feels great. Um, I just found out that I'm anemic. So that makes sense <laughs> that it's been a bit of a struggle among other changes in my body, but I'm so grateful for any day I can get outside. So that's, that's a piece that I'm just still so grateful for. I'm just wondering, there were, there was a lot of really great wisdom thrown down in just that tiny section with Liz mm -hmm. and Ladia. And I'm wondering, you know, how that made you feel hearing that and hearing like, how they had to adjust their expectations, but also how their history with running and their history with these relationships, like almost prepped them, almost prepared them to go through pregnancy. 
I think Liz's experience was really, really interesting because she was talking about how she's been running for 14 years. And at first her relationship with running was really unhealthy and that she got the chance to look, to work on it for those past years and make it better. However, she acknowledged that like pregnancy kind of made her reevaluate that and actually continue to keep working on the relationship even more than she had in the past to make sure that she was able to keep the relationship with running healthy throughout her pregnancy. And I just thought that was really, really interesting because obviously a lot of us have to work on our relationship with running. Right. And so I think it's really refreshing to hear someone acknowledge that like pregnancy is just another thing that like, you have to really prioritize. You have to prioritize the relationship that changes with it and acknowledge that like your body and your relationship with running is changing. And like, that's okay. Yeah. That it's like, it's just, it's another chapter that we're going through that they, they, both these women have been runners since they were teenagers, right. Ran, ran collegiately, that type of thing. And this is just kind of another, an, the next chapter in their, their running and their life journey. And I really appreciated that. And they made me feel less scared about, you know, wanting to take on that journey in the coming years too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thing I love listening to this, I was, I was sad. I couldn't join you guys for that interview, but like, it was so cool. Like listening to them talk about it because it reminds me. And I think this is just so important for every woman to hear is that like your relationship with your body, it's a very intimate one and it's not static. It's dynamic. And it's like, it changes as we've talked about, like over the course of a month, but it changes over the course of a lifetime. But the thing that I saw with both of these, these, these women was that like their, their relationship with running is still steadfast, right? Like that, that was kind of the constant. And even though that was still changing, it still is kind of what kept them like kind of focused through a, just kind of almost like a really scary time. If, you know, I'm not always the most comfortable with change. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, that was just something that was just uh, encouraging to hear, but also I think, yeah, that's something that I think all of us can, can learn from too. I like how they kind of spin, like we're going to dive into this next section here where they kind of flip that on its head. And it's like, well, what has that, like, what has that taught them about, you know, how, how are the skills they've taken from trail and alternating kind of prepared them for this next, this next chapter in life. You know, I am so grateful that I've done trail and ultra running um, prior to getting pregnant because it really prepared me to uh, expect the unexpected. Um, you know, that old coaching adage, I tell the high school kids all the time, like assume nothing and prepare for everything. Um, and that's kind of how pregnancy is because every journey is totally different. Um, and, and so, you know, it's been, I lost my brain, my train of thought there. I have baby brain. What was the main question again? <laughs> Just do, that's, that's, we're perfect. leaving that in. Yeah. That's, that's, that's it. <laughs> Um, about, you know, just kind of having to deal with the, the ups and downs, like the fact that, you know, not any gate, any, any day is a given as far as like what, what you might get, which can be hard, I think as a, as a person, but as, as a runner trying to get out the door too. I've really had to change my expectations about like what a run is. Um, and that's something I've been doing over the years. Um, and I'm trying to practice what I preach to my athletes that stress is stress life is stress and life's going to throw different things at you, whether it's nausea, whether it's, you know, acid reflux, whether it's your body changing so drastically, like my boobs have like tripled in size. And so that's like a different, I'm just, you know, learning and I have a belly now. And so I'm learning the, the, I'm just learning these different sensations in my body and doing what I can. And, but continuing, I think the key is continuing to, to trust my body and trust my intuition and my discernment about what I'm feeling 
And um, that's something that Melody and I really focused on in our book um, for young athletes. But the reality is, is that our bodies are always changing from the minute you're born till the minute you die. Our bodies are always changing and there's just times where it's more apparent. So for me in, in pregnancy, it's just been practicing what I preach about that and listening to myself and understanding that if I go out for a run and I'm not feeling it, I can turn around after five minutes or maybe a jog to this spot in my neighborhood where uh, these folks have some ponies that takes me about 15 minutes is all I can do for that day. Right. Or maybe I can get out onto the trails with my friends. So just releasing any pressure of a training calendar, um, a deadline, or in just really having open, open expectations about what might happen and practicing being okay with that through other modalities like journaling, yoga, chatting to friends with friends, staying off Strava, et cetera. Well, I love Elizabeth, what you were starting to say about the parallels between ultra running and running while pregnant and now running postpartum, um, because that is something I'm constantly going back to in my own mind. And again, I'm also really grateful that I was exposed to ultra running before becoming pregnant because I've used a lot of the same strategies that we use in ultra running. So for example, staying hydrated fueling along the way, like always having a snack with me when I was pregnant and now postpartum as well. And if I feel myself starting to grow impatient um, or a little bit testy, you know, I check in with my basic needs. Like, have I drank some water lately? Have I had a snack lately? Do I need to just take a couple minute mental break from this current situation, if I'm able to. And it's amazing how much that actually has turned things around for me um, moment to moment and helped me kind of get through a lot of those downs in particular, but also the ups and the downs because it's also temporary. Just like in an ultra, you don't know how you're going to feel moment to moment, mile to mile. And in an ultra, we learn how to embrace the power hike or embrace the rest stop. You get to that aid station and you take a seat in that chair and you take some deep breaths. If you're lucky, like I was at Western States 2019, you have a lovely volunteer who starts massaging your hands, which you have no memory of in hindsight, because that's how out of it you were in the moment. But all of those little things matter and they all add up. What do you think is the weirdest skill that you've picked up from trail and ultra running, be it racing or training that you've brought into your daily life? Oh man. I don't know if this is weird, but I think just being adaptable. Like I talk about this with JT all the time is I'm not super adaptable when it comes to my daily life. So I really want to embrace it. And so I feel like with like Western States, a lot of my mindset has been pulled from other ultras where, you know, things don't go as according to plan. And so I'm trying to be adaptable. And so for Western States, I brought all of these options, right? Because I wanted to be able to be adaptable and not stuck in my ways and, and, you know, stubborn if something went wrong. And, and, you know, I thought I'd accounted for all of these things and, and turns out I didn't. And so now I got another test of being adaptable, but, but again, I, I think it's so important to bring that adaptability into your daily life because, you know, life happens and, things happen that aren't normal. And like, you're going to have to be able to adapt with it if you want to be able to continue to succeed and just have a, have a good day and have, be happy. So two things, I think for me, um, 
it's kind of related to Keely's, like the, the adaptability part, but um, like there's, there's few times in my life where I can be so focused on what I'm doing. Usually I'm always thinking about like the future. I'm such a planner. So I want to like think about what's next, but running is the one time where I feel like I can be so focused, especially during a race, like on the present moment. And like, that's what I tried to bring into daily life. Like if I'm having a hard time, um, focus on like what I can do in that moment to just get me through to the next thing. So it's like in a race, it's like, you know, really focusing from like aid station to aid station. And before you know it, you've covered this like insane distance. Um, and like kind of applying that to the, to the day, daily life when like for projects or like digestible chunks, like stuff like that and really being present. And then the second thing, and this sounds really funny, but like, the second thing is, is, and it goes along with what we heard Vladia and Liz talk about. It's just that like full acceptance of, of like your body and what you're able to do. Like, I feel like there's like in daily life, I can be very hard on myself or like very judgy, but in running, like I can just be this like mess. Like I can go camping and I like, or out in the woods for like a week and haven't showered and I'd be like the happiest person. I could be covered in mud or blood from my period and still be really happy. And, uh, like I try to kind of just take that raw version of myself and be like, if I can be happy and like accept myself during like doing this super hard thing, then how come I can't do that in daily life? And it sounds weird, but that's what running has really helped me with. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's like, I've had to like relinquish control over certain things or like, just like accept the ups and the downs and like not worry about it. Like I felt all this pressure to go adventure super hard over 4th of July weekend, but I was so tired from Western States stuff the weekend before. And I was like, I haven't run hundred miles. Like, why am I so tired? It's like, Oh, well I can name a few reasons why. Um, and just like had these high expectations for what I was like needed to get done. And, and I like slept in, I didn't run as long as I had planned over the weekend. And I was like, well, I've got Monday. It's 4th of July. I can run as long as I want on Monday. And then I like slept in instead. And I was like, you know what? Pete and I are going for a glorified dog walk and it's going to be awesome. And so we did, we went to this like quiet, quiet trailhead that I knew wasn't going to be as busy. And we just like hung out in the woods and we played fetch a bunch and we like, you know, we covered some distance, but didn't really matter how far we went. And it just felt really good to, to kind of relinquish control a little bit and be like, I needed sleep. I need this easy day. I need to accept this easy time and not force it. And just kind of that idea of like, you got to relinquish control a little bit and just kind of be ready to take what you're going to get on any given day. And it doesn't have to be perfect because I think like striving for that, there's, what is that quote? It's like the, don't let perfect get in the way of great or something. That's totally not, mm. not the actual quote, but that's, <laughs> we get that's it. actually we get the it. idea, right? Is like, don't let mm-hmm. being perfect get in your way of like, just doing, doing what's really good. Um, and someone will tell me what the actual quote is in my DMS, I'm sure. So thank you. Um, but I think that's really important is like relinquishing control and like sitting on a rock. If you need to sit on a rock, maybe that means you're having a cry on that rock. Maybe not, but I think that's like a really kind of an important take home message for me from this is like them just kind of being in it and living in it and taking it one day at a time. 
Yeah. And it was really cool that they're still able to get out and do this while they they've been going through pregnancy or postpartum or whatever it is. And I think you really asked a great question, Corinne, asking about like how to address like the societal stigma around females and how they should, you know, be home to take care of the child and, you know, maybe feel guilty if they do decide to prioritize themselves. So I really love this part of the interview where they start to talk about this and how they've kind of navigated that and, and really put themselves first, but, but not by putting the baby second, you know? So, I want to cut to that and and listen to their talk there. I think there is a very real pressure that a lot of people feel to justify running in general. And then in particular, while pregnant and while having children, um, especially for those of us who identify as women. um, I think it's like really wonderful if, if running can help you move through your day with maybe some more patience and more generosity and more love. That's awesome. And that absolutely should be celebrated. And also it doesn't have to like running doesn't have to make me a better mother for me to do it. I run because I love to run. I run because I can run. Um, and I would love to be able to leave it at that. Um, and I do try to stay really mindful of where I'm tempted to justify my running because I do think that it sends a message probably somewhat subconsciously or like a subtle message to other people that like, if I have to justify my run, then maybe you have to, too. Um, And so I try to challenge that impulse to justify it um, more than I don't really struggle with it because I think I'm at a place where I'm secure in my, like that I deserve to run, which is a hard thing to say, even actually saying that out loud to you three, like it feels uncomfortable, right? Because I, I have been conditioned to some extent to think that I don't deserve to do something that makes me feel alive if there are other obligations and other commitments, but I'm always trying to reroute myself in the fact that I deserve to run. I love to run and therefore I'm going to do what I can to try to make it possible for me to run. Um, I want to point out that trail and ultra running is part of a bigger society, a bigger culture. And within our society and culture, mothers and people who parent, but especially mothers bear the brunt of the workload still. Um, That is physical workload, emotional workload, and there's lots of pressures around what motherhood needs to look like, what an individual ought to give of themselves or do with their time. Um, And that's something that's just the water that we're swimming in, right? It is expected as the status quo that a woman drop everything and tend to the children, tend to the baby and put their kids first. So I think when we're talking about those pressures within like individual relationships, within communities like trail running, it's important to notice that we're all swimming in this soup of pressure and societal expectations. So there's lots of stigmas and myths around that. But I personally was so lucky from my early 20s on to have mentors, coaches, training partners 
who exemplified more egalitarian, more equitable relationships and examples of how folks can co-parent and still maintain their own individual relationships what makes them with what makes them feel alive with what whatever they love right so one of my best training partners and favorite training partners in Syracuse New York when I was living there she's she's now crushing it as a master on the track in masters races and she kind of showed me through these pregnancies what was possible that you didn't have to quarantine yourself you didn't have to give up what you love of course, I want to note that that takes tremendous privilege and luck to be able to do that because raising kids, because having a baby is such tremendous work. It takes time. It takes effort. Um, it, it can be a tremendous, tremendous workload. Um, but I've had exam uh, examples like her, other training buddies, watching like Alephine Tillimuk, um, Allison Felix, Alicia Montano, folks that have put together organizations like And Mother that are advocating for women in so many ways within running and beyond running, um, that that can really show us what's possible, show us the potential about what we can do, whether or not we have kids, right? Um I also want to say that like, just because you have a baby, that doesn't mean that's your sole identity, right? That's a part of what you do, part of what you've done, part of who you are. But I think this best service that we can do for the next generation for our children is to show them how to be strong individuals and pursue what you love and be bold. And again, that takes childcare, that takes help, that takes support, takes a village. Um, but I'm so grateful for the representation, for the examples of other folks. And like Ladia, gosh, washing her has been really um, helpful, you know, for folks like me that are like, oh God, I hope I get to race again, you know, like, of course I'd love to. Um, and, you know, just like my husband wants to keep golfing, right? Like these things, these are things we do. And so I'm hopeful that more representation, more discussions like these will continue to push that narrative forward and push back against those pressures that women face as pregnant folks. I think that part of the conversation evolved in this like really interesting way where we kind of knew what the first response was going to be this idea of like societal stigma and like doing what you need to do to prioritize yourself as a, as a human while still being a good parent and a good partner and a good employee or a good boss or whatever it is. But I loved this like turn from both, both Ladia and Liz about, you know, at the same time, you shouldn't have to justify why you're running or if you're going to run, like it should just be like, it, it needs to serve you in a way. And I just, I really love that kind of like, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be what you, what you expect or this, or this, the only, like that the, there's only one way of doing this thing. Yeah. And one of the things that I think, I think Ladia said was that you, just cause you have a baby, it doesn't mean that you have to have that as your sole identity. Like we're allowed to be more than just a parent, more than just a mother, more than just a partner. Those things are what make us our, our unique self. Right. And so I really like that they're embracing that running is a part of themselves and that they don't have to make it this thing that gives them guilt and that they're allowed to just do it because it, it gives them a sense of purpose and sense of really high happiness and lets them be like a better mother and a better partner. Yeah. And it kind of came out of these organic conversations that we've probably like that I've had with Ladia on the trail with a number of our friends, or that you've probably had with friends out running too, of this, like these expectations that society puts mm -hmm. on us versus like, 
you know, the expectations we might put on our partners or who is taking on childcare or how are you going to balance that? And it's not perfect. And we've talked a lot about how balance is a fallacy on this podcast. And I think that's kind of exemplified in this conversation as well is that it's not going to be perfect all the time, but that it's kind of up to you to, to put yourself first in that situation. And I'm wondering if there's any, obviously none of us are mothers yet um, or expecting mothers like Liz here. And I'm just kind of, I'm wondering if, has this been part of a dialogue that you've ever had with friends or significant others or your, like your community as far as like, cause representation is important here too, right? Like having someone that you can look up to in this space, I think is really important. And I think Lottie and Liz just gave us two like incredible mentors to have as we all, you know, venture onto the next chapters of our lives too. I mean, I, I think about dads as well, like Adam St. Pierre, right? Like we always, when our coach Corinne, you know, like we, I would always go when he lived in Boulder uh, on runs with him, but it was always around childcare and like when mm-hmm. he could support getting out, like being home for the kids to go to school, helping his wife, Allison. Um, so, and I was, you know, I was always just a sucker. If he said 5am, I'd be like, yep, see you there at the trailhead. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd rather run with you than, you know, it's like, but it's also just about prioritizing things that are important in your life. Yeah. And I actually got to witness this firsthand when I was at Western States in the ultra house with Justin and Amanda, um, really balancing the workload. So Justin would always be with the kids in the morning so that Amanda could get her run in acknowledging that like Amanda wants to run. She really enjoys running and like her running is going to help the family dynamic. And then she kind of acknowledges that she's going to watch the children at a different part of the day so that he can get out and run because again, it's really important to him. So they have this really good, you know, symbiotic relationship where they're, they're sacrificing different times of the day so that the other person can get out. Um, But I do also acknowledge that like, that's not always the case, right? You don't always have that option because maybe your partner actually works a lot of really, really long days. And so you're constantly single parenting and And I think there, it does still require like you to put that, you know, the parent hat maybe to the side for a second. It's still prioritizing like me time so that you, you can ultimately, you know, still be there for your children, but also get, get your fix and and just feel like alive and be outside and get exercise. Yeah. I think it's easy to feel guilty, right? It's so easy to Mm -hmm. feel guilty. I mean, we do that. We only have a dog, you know, she's she's (laughs) sleeping behind me. She uh, is dreaming right now, but you know, we only have a dog, but we have to do the dog, the dog shuffle, the ju- the dog juggle. Like Steven knows that I'm taking on, he's an a intern, intern year of EM residency. Like he's not home a whole lot. So I've got most of the domestic duties right now. And maybe it's probably good that we don't have a child in the mix as well this year, but you know, recognizing that like, and, and he's been really good about recognizing that I'm taking on a lot of domestic duties right now. Um, and trying to give each other both the time to, to get out when we can. And and to, to make those trade-offs, but I think that guilt is really hard. And I see that in the athletes that I coach too, with the, with the, the guilt of having time away from the family. And so I think really planning out that time and, and knowing that it's like, okay, I might have some imbalance right now. I've got a friend who's kind of going through that where her partner isn't a runner and doesn't understand why she's training for this big race and that she, that she's not going to be around for every single dinner, every single week. And it's this, you know, this, or every single day. And this is, are really important. You know, she's like, okay, for six weeks, we're not going to have balance because I need to really try to give my all for this race because it's really important to me. And like having that talk and being like, it's just six weeks, it's, it's this next training block. And then like, and then life will reshift again. And I think that's been helpful for both of them to have that conversation, but I think it was causing a lot of, a lot of, you know, friction. And I think we've all, I think all of us sitting here in this conversation have probably had that friction at some point in time, (laughs) um, trying to find that balance with kids in the picture or not. And I think kids are just one more layer where it's like, it's, they are a part of your life. They're very important. And it's just, you know, takes 
super open dialogue with you and your support system, if that's a partner, a significant other, or, or otherwise, you know, what is that going to look like so that you both can still be whole humans? Because I think that gets really, really hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think Ladia did this really well when she was like, you know, building back for a race is that she took her time. She was super patient coming back to racing. She didn't try to race, you know, a couple months after pregnancy, she gave herself over a year. And so I was really, really impressed with her journey back to racing. And so uh, we'll cut back here to kind of her and Liz's discussion around, you know, how they had to reshape their racing agenda, how that journey back to racing looked and like, you know, how they're reframing their mind around racing in general. It was a very gradual and purposeful build after having my baby. And I think part of that was developed over the course of my pregnancy, getting to practice every day, just embracing what the moment is bringing to me. So as Liz talked about earlier, you're, you know, there's all these ups and downs. Everything is changing moment to moment. One moment I might think, oh, hey, I can go out for a run. And I get out the door and two minutes later, I'm like, hmm this run is not feeling very good. I'm going to bring it to a walk. And then five minutes later, I'm like, oh, I feel all right again. Maybe I'll try jogging. And I find myself jogging for 15 minutes. So it really is just trying, for me, it was really trying to stay rooted in the present moment, which is something that I think ultra running has helped me cultivate. And Again, recognizing that it's all temporary and how I feel right now is not going to be how I feel forever or even in five minutes. Um, And so keeping sort of that long view perspective is maybe has been helpful for me in committing to a gradual build and then also not rushing myself through that. Um, But I don't know, like... I don't think there's really any secret to it other than that I just decided I wanted to make it very gradual and to not rush myself. Like embracing where I'm at in the moment really requires not rushing the process. And maybe trusting too that like I had to actively reject this message that is very prominent of oh, well, your racing career is going to be over once you have a kid. And I I actively wanted to reject that. Anytime I could feel that narrative filtering through my mind, I said, no, I don't believe that. I think that's a lie. And so I don't need to rush this. I don't need to prove anything to myself or to anyone else. I can trust that I have a great deal of power, a great deal of strength, a great deal of speed, a great deal of talent. And I have the privilege to be able to continue doing what I love. And all of those pieces, just like pre-pregnancy, all of those pieces will come together for me and I'll see how they play out on race day. Did standing on the check on start line feel different than racing pre-pregnancy? I just, I mean, maybe that's like fairy tale ish, but it's just like, I don't know, like, did, like, did it, did it feel different to be there in this kind of like. I don't know. I feel like they, they, they do say like, when you have a baby, it's kind of like you're reborn as well a little bit. Yes. Like you become this, this other person maybe, um, while still retaining who you are. So I'm just kind of wondering, did, did it feel different to be on the start line? It felt different because I had spent the previous 
10 to 12 days taking care of a very sick child. And I I wasn't even certain I was going to make it to the star line. So it felt different because of that. Um, because I was so relieved to have made it to the star line in the first place, which I think is a very common experience for parents. Um, and probably especially in those first couple of years postpartum, just getting to a start line is a big victory. Um, but unfortunately, because we are still in a pandemic, I didn't want my child to be there and he was still getting over his cold. Um, so he wasn't there. And I think maybe it would have been different if if he was there with me and I was on that start line. Um but I was also just so pumped about the field of women at the race there that that was, I think my predominant feeling of excitement was around just getting to be a part of such an awesome group of people and such a magical day. Um, I had signed up for Sun Mountain 50 miler. Um, and that's a race that I had been punting down the road for like three years. I really had to shift since I had gotten pregnant last summer that really kind of started to shift things for me. And I was kind of like, well, let's see. I still have this entry that I can kick down the road, thankfully, right? Thank goodness for races that are have flexible entry policies and that were really um, kind to folks that are dealing with uh, issues like pregnancy or pregnancy loss. Um, and so I had that lovely privilege of kind of being able to just keep kicking it down the road. <laughs> um, and at first I thought because I had felt before while pregnant, like, okay, while running in the first trimester, I thought, oh, well, maybe I can keep training. And then I realized that having that deadline or expectation on myself wasn't necessarily helpful for me in that phase. Um and I, I used to say, like, before I even wanted to get pregnant, I, I wanted to be one of those women that was running races pregnant. Um, I knew a coach who had, in the 80s, found out that she was four months pregnant while she was training for the Boston Marathon. And her doctor, who was pretty revolutionary for the time, told her, go for it. Baby gets first dibs. She had to sit down on the curb a couple of times, but she did it, right? It wasn't her fastest time, but she did it. And that was her baby's first marathon, right? Um, and I loved that story. I thought it was so cool because it was exemplifying how women can do these things that people tell them not to do, right? Like the training partner that I had in Syracuse who ran until and through her due date, we would get yelled at by people that were driving by in cars that were telling her to go home, to be careful. And so I loved being there and supporting her and in watching these women that were just defying convention. And I really had that hope for myself. Um, but that's not what it shook out, shook out to be. And I'm fine with that. <laughs> right. Um, thank goodness. <laughs> Okay. So what I thought was really interesting was kind of listening. We, we've gotten to see the outcome for Ladia in particular, right? She has had a really great spring of racing. We got to watch her throw down at Chuckanut. We got to watch her, you know, show grit and grace for the fourth place finish at Canyon's hundred K. Um, you know, she's abundantly talented, but it's really cool to see the, the gears that are turning in the background there, what that actually looked like. Cause I think from the outside looking in, everything looks perfect right? Like a patient, slow buildup, a return to racing at a high level, like thumbs up, grins, every like high fives, everything's going great. But to hear 
the purpose behind it, to hear the embracing those moments, to hear that narrative of, is my racing career over after I have a kid? Like to, to see that actually play out in, in their words, I thought was really, was really interesting as an outsider looking in on these, you know, what are race achievements. I just love listening to what Ladia said about like actively rejecting that narrative that you're this idea that your racing career is over after you have a kid. Right. And I think that that, I mean, it's specifically to, to obviously pregnancy and having a baby and all of, all of the changes, but it's, I think it's so applicable to anything about women being told that they have to expect certain things, but both Ladia and Liz, I think are examples of, you know, what, what, what is possible if they kind of embrace the journey as their own and make the decision for themselves. Yeah. And I think Ladia was really excited to get to that start line. Right. But she said like the journey wasn't linear. She kind of would go out in a day and not know what the moment was bringing her. So she had to just go with it. And I think that's why she was able to get to that start line filled with so much joy and, and able to put in some solid training was because she didn't rush it. And then same with Liz, where she kind of was saying how, you know, she had all these brace plans lined up. And then, you know, as she started feeling like her body was changing and as she found out she was pregnant, she realized like, this is not in the cards this year. Like my body is doing something totally different. I'm going to have to change my racing schedule. I'm going to change the way I'm training and all these things. And, and I can't help but think that that is just so pertinent to, you know, training in general, right. Pregnant or not, like we should be kind of embodying these women's mottos where we're just accepting what the day brings because it's same to an ultra, right. We don't know what the day is going to bring. We can control so many things, but we can't control everything. And so it was really cool to hear that these women were just willing to, you know, embrace kind of what was, what was going on, what their body was giving them in the day. And then, you know, and then use that as a way to get to the race instead of just only focusing on the race and doing whatever they had to, to get there. Yeah. And I think this is obviously uh, pregnancy and having a baby is different than, um, than injury, right? They're, they're not in the same category, but that idea too, when you have a big injury of like, it's really tempting to keep things on the calendar right? It's like, I'm going to be back in four weeks. I'm going to be back in four months. I'm going to be back in six months. Like it creates a lot of stress and de-stress, um, in one's life. And so I think, you know, listening to Liz be like, okay, I've got to, I've got to change course or Ladia talking about how, you know, wasn't sure if she was going to be able to make it to the start line. And so I think it's, you know, an interesting place to be in where suddenly you're like, do I, do I put something on the calendar? Am I opportunistic? you know, how, like, what, what are the next couple months going to look like? Because I think every woman's journey and every, every pregnant person's journey, every, um, every pregnancy itself is very different, um, in terms of, in terms of recovery, in terms of energy, in terms of return to sport. And so I think, you know, being bold enough, strong enough to remove those expectations, um, has got to be hard when you've been a runner or an athlete your entire life. And there's always been a goal to chase on the horizon. And suddenly you're like, I have to remove these things for just a little bit to make sure that I give myself time to take a nonlinear return to sport, which I ha have to imagine is just like very hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I guess like, I'm just thinking about now how they must've felt, you know, they're not only dealing with 
mental changes and physical changes where they're feeling, you know, tired out there or just different in their body, but they're also dealing with body changes. Like your body changes a lot when you're pregnant and it's beautiful, right? It's your body's changing so that you can have a child. And that is like our sole purpose on this earth. And it is so beautiful, but I'm sure that with those body changes comes a lot of mental turmoil and just a lot of changes in how you, how you see yourself. And so I thought both of these women's unique stories were very, very interesting and and super important to hear. And so be really cool to cut back to how they kind of adapted to their changing bodies and how they had to reframe their mind around it. So it's a, it's a journey and I am so grateful that I am in this phase of recovery from those issues. And specifically earlier in my life, I could not fathom and it didn't even sound like interesting or even slightly delightful to me to be pregnant, specifically because of those issues that I had. Right. I didn't want to lose this quote unquote control that I had. I didn't want to lose the ability to go out the door and run for however long, which is ironic, right? Because when we have disordered relationships with our bodies, with exercise, with food, you're not in control. You have a disordered coping mechanism. And so for me, working on recovery and working on my relationship with my body was foundational to me even wanting to be pregnant. Um, And that was just a step that I had to make Um, a couple of weeks ago or last week. I don't know what time is anymore. um, I hosted a panel with Kara Bozzi, who's a co-founder of Opal Food and Body Wisdom here in Seattle. That's an eating disorder treatment center and a registered um, dietitian, Alyssa Davis. And they were talking about their anti-diet approach to body image and helping people heal their body image. And they were talking about bodies as relationships rather than projects. And I think as athletes and as humans in the world that we're in, it's very easy to think of your body as a project. Think of, you know, there's just so many pressures around that from diet culture, cultural ideas, racism, fat phobia, all of this stuff that is just ingrained in the world that we're in. Um, and, and so I think backing up and looking at the big picture of my body image in general helped me approach pregnancy as something that I could be curious about something that I was open to because I'm changing. It's not, it, it, or even though I'm changing in my physical shape and, and space that I'm taking up, it's not ruining my day. It's not changing how I take care of myself. It's not changing um, my stress level in a way that's unmanageable. And so I feel so grateful for that. And I think recovery is something that's like totally possible, but also something that, that all of us get to work on for our lives, right? Like how do we relate to our bodies as we age, as we go through puberty, as we go through pregnancy, all of that. So um you know, there's a book uh, by Sonia Renee Taylor called The Body is Not an Apology. Um, I highly recommend that for everyone, anyone to read, because it talks a lot about our foundational relationship and, and where those pressures come from. And um, I think that's really helped shape kind of where I am right now. 
So much of what Liz said really resonates with me too. And I also think that my own recovery from body image issues and disordered eating was also foundational for me to be in a place where I could embrace the change that my body was experiencing. And it was foundational to me, not even just embracing it, but actually seeing it as powerful and as this gift that I've been given to go through this extraordinary change, um, both physically, but also mentally, emotionally, personally, um, and just my relationship with the world. And I mean, I don't want to glamorize that it's as easy as just a reframing because it's not like there's so much work that goes into getting to this place. And I just want to say like, that's another reason why preserving women's right to choose when and how we become mothers is essential, fundamental, because I was able to have the experience that I had in my pregnancy and now postpartum because I was able to decide when and how I became a mother. Um, I definitely had a lot of anxiety around uh, pregnancy, the first and things that were going on with my body when um, I was first pregnant and then even in the second pregnancy where there's so much misinformation out there, right? Um, about how much quote unquote weight you should gain or what you should be eating about what you can do about what you can't do. Um, that that was really difficult, uh, to kind of navigate. Um, but I also, you know, when folks started asking me like, Oh, are you showing yet? Uh, do you have a bump yet? And that was, I mean, the, the word trigger, it wasn't totally triggering, but it was a, it was a, tender spot for me because as someone who dealt with body image issues in the past, my stomach was like the heart of all of that, right? Like I remember as a child thoughts that I had about my stomach or the way that my stomach looked. Um, and that was like a struggle and a constant insecurity for me for a really long time. And so when my body was like starting to go through these changes, I was like, wait, is this how I actually look or is this a bump? Am I bloated? I don't, I don't know. Right. Because in my recovery, I've just been trying to like not focus on my appearance. I don't have a lot of mirrors. I don't really worry about that. I don't step on a scale. I don't, I just go about my life, um, which is lovely and a privilege. Uh, but that was a really odd phase to be in for me. Right. And it brought up some of these conversations that I've had in my head in the past, things that I needed to talk about in therapy. Um, because for pregnancy, that's like the sign, right? Like everyone wants to touch your belly. There's these photo shoots where you're standing to the side, and, you know, all this ridiculous stuff around your stomach. And the truth is, is that everyone, any pregnant person's belly looks totally different, right? Like there's a different child in there and it's going to continue to change, right? Um, something that's fluid. Uh, and so, you know, that was just an interesting point for me at this, in this pregnancy where I had to kind of just check back in with myself and reevaluate what really mattered. Okay. So this might've been the most important question I wanted to ask Laudia and Liz, cause I have this deep seated fear that I'm going to be a horrible, angry, 
pregnant person. Um, just, and, and I feel like I, I live in a, in a, in a relatively small body. I have very few, if any disordered thoughts about my body and its shape and size, but this idea of relinquishing control that we've talked about a lot today, um, was really scary to me. And I, and I really wanted to know, like, is it, is it that bad? Am I going to hate this? Um, what, what does that journey look like? And I think both Ladia and Liz have a lot of personal experience with that pre-pregnancy. And I thought that was really interesting to hear how much work they've put in to get to the place that they both are as far as their, their body's journey with pregnancy. And I'm wondering how hearing that from them made, made either one of you feel. I can go if you don't have anything to say. I mean, I do, but you should, you should go. And then fight, 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 fight. (laughs) No. (laughs) Well, I I just think, I think they both talked about this really beautifully because I think it's really important to talk about healing and kind of like letting your bodies change and heal and all these things and, and not fighting them. And they both kind of acknowledge that they had to do this recovery process and that when they were pregnant, they had to, you know, acknowledge that their body was changing. And instead of going back down that rabbit hole where maybe before when they did add on extra weight or they see these body changes, they would have went down a negative mindset hole. They had to change it and kind of reframe it as a way that's beautiful and powerful and really, really important and not something that's negative, um, which I, I think would be really hard because kind of to Liz's point, like when you're pregnant, you are also faced with your body and it's, and you're not allowed to shy away from it. All of your doctors want to talk about is like, you know, how the baby's gaining weight, how you're gaining weight. A lot of people want to comment on your baby bump. And, and if you're coming from a spot of disordered eating or, you know, body image issues, that's going to be really, really hard. And so trying to like separate those two things and acknowledge that like your body's changing now for a really beautiful reason. And that has no implications on, on like how you should view yourself and how you should view your body image is really, really important. And I'm sure obviously easier said than done, but I just thought that was super powerful. Yeah. I mean, I agree that that was, it must be so hard too, because I love what Liz said that she got so comfortable about just like accepting her body going through her daily life, like, and not focusing on image and, you know, all of that stuff. And then it was quite the opposite when all of a sudden she was pregnant and everyone you know, wanted to like touch her belly or something like this, you know, it's just kind of like, like that'd be disorienting. Um, but I think really kind of what goes, what goes back to it is it's just, it's so amazing to see kind of the journey, but it's also just like a constant ebb ebb and flow of like body acceptance, but also just meeting yourself where you are. And I think they, obviously they both had to do a lot of work before this, but it's, it's so cool to see like the wisdom and, and, and hear the wisdom in in both Liz and Ladia's stories of how they just kind of, you know, went with it. And it's not saying that it wasn't difficult, but that, you know, that I think they're both grateful for like the struggles that they had and then being able to kind of take those experiences and, and learn, um, as you know, they went through something, you know, new and different. Mm -hmm. I thought it was really interesting, you know, them talking about normalizing some of that change for themselves and just being really kind of in awe of what their bodies were capable of doing and what they are actively doing, as opposed to, you know, trying to fight it or trying to, it to be this controlled battle. And there are many things about pregnancy that make you uncomfortable, but, both of their kind of perspectives on just kind of in a way embracing the beauty of sorts of what was happening or is happening. Liz is pregnant currently. <laughs> um, I thought that was, that was a really pleasant way or a, a really relatable way of, of framing that. 
Yeah. And Corinne, I'm sorry, I was thinking about you during one of Vladia's um, phrases where she was talking about how not, not feeling comfortable in her running clothes. Um, because I feel like we've talked about, like, there's like a couple of days a month where like, you don't really feel comfortable in your own skin, right? Like all of a sudden, maybe your shorts feel a little tight, your, your sports bra fits tighter. And that's not a good feeling. Like, even if you feel pretty comfortable in your body, like that feeling is not good. And so if you are, you know, going through pregnancy and you're having these body changes and all of a sudden you don't feel comfortable in your, your running clothes, the clothes that normally felt like your superhero outfit, right? Like something that empowered you, (laughs) like that's gonna be really, really hard. And so I think acknowledging that and like acknowledging that that's really common, and that like, we should seek to change that and maybe like figure out ways to, to give these women clothes that fit for this time of their life so that they do feel like rock stars again is like really, really important because nobody likes to feel uncomfortable in their own body. And we definitely don't like feeling uncomfortable in clothes that don't fit. Yeah. And I think that was kind of this, this idea that we are kicking around there about, you know, like a bra buyback program. Like there are, there are organizations that do kind of bras for girls, this like, you know, get, get sports bras to, to young women, to middle school girls, to high school girls, because to elementary school girls, because, you know, that is one of the the barriers to entry for them sport wise. And I thought that was just a really like beautiful, like thought process for everyone of like, how could we engage in this? How can our personal sponsors or the brands that we work closely with engage in a way of, you know, allowing women, you know, to have access to clothing that is only going to fit them for a very small period of time, maybe a run, maybe two runs, right? Cause your body's changing all the way through pregnancy and then all the way like through kind of like your postpartum journey as well. And it seems like, I don't know, it's really hard to go for a run when you don't have any clothes that fit you. One would say that's the barrier to entry. (laughs) One would say that's a barrier to entry. And I think that's kind of our last segment here that we're going to listen into is, is us kind of waxing poetically with Ladia and Liz on, you know, barriers to entry in and around pregnancy and sport. navigating the medical system and access to that, right? And as athletes, sometimes we struggle with that. Like if you tell an athlete to get a ferritin test and the doctor's like, why? No, you don't need that. And that's something that like running coaches have been talking about since like the nineties, you know, and we still are kind of swimming upstream with that. Um, And so I think we know that uh, maternal health care, especially in the U.S., is not that great. It's especially um, horrible for Black women, Indigenous folks, Latinas. Um, Oh, that's my cat, Buckley. I apologize. Um, So, you know, in navigating the medical system can be difficult because there are things, there's so many potential complications, so many potential issues when you're dealing with fertility and pregnancy that can affect your life, (laughs) not just your running, but your life. And um, so that can be a huge barrier for folks. Um, and, And also, you know, just in their trust of their body, right? Like if you say I'm having this pain or this sensation and I, uh, you know, think something's wrong. Well, if the doctor dismisses you, then what's really going to happen there, right? Like, are you going to get the care that you need? And a lot of that time, a lot of the time that, that care is, is essential. Right. Um, and so I think being able to, to advocate and trust, um, what your body's telling you as you go through the process is really important. And it's a privilege. Again, it's a luxury that I have as a white woman, as a thin privileged person, as an able-bodied person, but even as I've been navigating, you know, the past year with 
um, OBs and, and different folks, you know, I get comments about my body and I'm like, if I'm getting comments about my body, what are you saying to folks that don't have the privileges that I do? Right. Um, and so I actually asked the RD that I talked to occasionally to talk to my doctors and talk to the practice because I'm like this, these comments about how I look are not helpful. They're not medically necessary and they're feeding into stigma. And I have in the front of my file, like recovered from an eating disorder, right? Like they should know when I go in there and they weigh me, I step on backwards because that number is not serving me right now. Right. Um, And so I have some tools and some advocates within the space that not everybody has. And so we just know that those pressures come from everywhere. They come from the doctor, they come from your partner, they come from, from work or whatever. And your own relationship with your body as you're pregnant or dealing with fertility issues as a runner, um, like Ladia said, it's not just going to come from like a reframing, like toxic positivity is not the answer. (laughs) There's, there's a lot going on here that we get to confront as humans that are trying to birth other humans. Um, so I think it's just important to, to keep that in mind. Kaylee, do you have anything that you want to ask on this? Yeah, I was just going to say, so I feel like you guys both came into pregnancy in a, in a decent headspace, right? Like probably a headspace, a little bit ahead of the average curve. Um, and so even though you had this, um, this like little bit of an advantage, or I guess little bit of recovery. Um, do you feel like you still had some instances where you kind of went down rabbit holes and can you like reflect on any of those thoughts that where you had to like catch yourself and be like, Oh, that's, that thought is really silly. Um, just cause I think talking about that stuff and, and acknowledging that everyone has these thoughts and they're, they're silly thoughts, but they are real thoughts. Um, I feel like could be helpful. So I ended up having a surprise C-section because my baby wasn't tolerating contractions. And so a C-section is a major surgery, a major abdominal surgery. So I had some unique needs postpartum that aren't always the case with a vaginal delivery, um, which comes with its own unique challenges postpartum. So for me, I did ultimately seek out a, um, a PT specializing in pelvic floor. I unfortunately had to pay for that out of pocket and I'm fortunate that I can afford to do that. Um, but to one of Liz's earlier points, you know, maternal health care in the United States um, has a long way to go. Um, so I was kind of limited in the number of sessions that I had for that. Um, I did find it helpful, um, especially because Early on, as I was really gradually building up my running, I all of these sensations were new to me. It was my first time being postpartum, um, and I had questions kind of about some of the sensations that I was noticing, and I wanted to try to be as on top of things as I could. And so I was checking in with my pelvic floor PT. For example, like one sensation I had was the the kind of the sensation of like a tampon falling out of your vagina while you're running. Um, and that was without a tampon in my vagina. Um, and I had read on the internet, um, you know, that that can be a sign of prolapse. And so I was concerned that that was 
potentially what was going on. And so I had my pelvic floor PT and then also the midwife that I was working at, um, working with who I had been working with through my pregnancy, you know, check my, um, check everything in there and confirm that I didn't have any prolapse. Um, so I was just trying to stay really mindful of the sensations in my body. Cause there is, there are a lot of them both through pregnancy and then postpartum. And it is really hard to find the information that you need to your earlier point too, Liz, like there's a lot of misinformation and then there's just a lot of information that you can't find on your own. And so it is kind of luck of the draw, like which healthcare provider you get connected with and whether they even have ready answers for you um, or know of a next step. Um, So I'm like really grateful that I was able to navigate that mostly smoothly for myself, but it also like wasn't without its own challenges and, and did require me to like advocate for myself and look for a pelvic floor PT. I only have one little uh, thought is that I know the company Caden J that Alicia Montano is sponsored by makes active wear specifically for pregnant people and, and postpartum. So that is like, even just knowing that there's a company out there that can help you clothe yourself if you can afford it, um, is, is most excellent to know that people are making these things and doing these things that can help support you staying active throughout pregnancy. So like there's, I've been doing some um, recore training and I can't remember the name of the physical therapist, but there's a couple running programs where doctors of physical therapy who either have a pelvic health or pelvic floor health focus, or just focus on working with and through pregnancy, they can provide a lot of education and help and tools for like mini workouts or essential core workouts that you can do to strengthen your pelvic floor, strengthen and engage your transverse abdominis and and kind of continue to remain active um, safely because obviously what you can do will change. Um, Even doing yoga, which is something I've done for since I started running, that changes. You have to modify. So finding the instructors who who know how to modify um, different poses or say, you know, encourage you to do what feels best in your body is really important. Um, and that goes along with like coaches, right? Like how I, I'm like at this point, I'm coaching myself, right? And so I have this ultimate freedom and flexibility and I can trust myself at this point in my life. I'm knocking on wood um, to coach myself for the most part. Um, but having coaches that are out there with the knowledge of maybe pelvic floor conditioning of you know, flagging whether someone maybe needs to go see an RD, flagging whether someone needs to go see a mental health professional because mental health issues can be triggered. Um, and we know that that staying active can help pregnant people um, with their mood and with their mental health. Um, but it's not everything, right? It's just a part of it. So I think having that village, having those support crews and that that like team of experts around you can be super valuable, but it can take time to kind of build your point people, whether locally, regionally, um, or luckily now, like, you know, the crazy upside of the 
I don't want it. There's no upside of a pandemic, but the crazy bonus is that there's so many more things that are available virtually now. So like this ReCore program that I'm doing is just online, right? Um, so I think those are all really important things that we could keep iterating on as a community. Yeah, like medical literacy and having to be your own advocate in the health, like in the healthcare world is incredibly challenging. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the four of us sitting here have a lot of privileges in that regard, as far as educational backgrounds and connections and being able to find those resources, because even for general, like general primary care stuff, I feel like having to be your own self advocate is uniquely challenging. And I think with pregnancy and postpartum care, that is just like a whole nother level of, of need and needs not being met. So it's interesting to hear both your experiences with that. Mm-hmm. I think one thing that I found challenging was none of my clothes felt comfortable and especially my running clothes. And I wanted to get out the door, whether it was for a run or a walk or a hike, or just to be outside and feeling like, okay, well, should I buy new clothes? But you know, I don't know what my body's going to be like tomorrow or in a week or in a month. And I don't really want to spend money on something that I might only wear for a day. And thankfully I had some friends who gave me their maternity clothes and they worked well enough. But I do think that this is another kind of invisible barrier that pregnant people experience throughout their pregnancy. And then postpartum is like, gosh, that's demanding a lot of resources of you if your body is constantly changing and the clothes that you have in your home like aren't necessarily working for your body as it's changing. Um, So that was like a very prominent experience of mine throughout the pregnancy and postpartum, Um, especially because we were in the middle of a pandemic and I was not comfortable going to a store and buying anything new. And I didn't know how to buy maternity clothes or other clothes online. Um, So I ended up wearing a lot of Adam, my partner's clothes. One of the first signs that I was pregnant was that my boobs were exploding and they hurt like a mother and, or whatever. I don't know where that expression comes from, (laughs) Um, but they, and I immediately bought two new sports bras from Wazelle and got them. And I had already grown out of one. So, you know, that, that, that turnover, it's like, could this be a coalition of like Wazelle, Caden J Brooks, who I know all are really like focused on women's equipment and, or maybe it's like a buy nothing thing where women have a message board and they're like, look, I wore this awesome new bra once it didn't work for me. Who wants it? Let's trade. For me. I mean, I am still wearing the bras that I wore pre-pregnancy now, post breastfeeding, but mm-hmm. my boobs are not the same. I wouldn't say it's the best fit for the way my boobs are now. Mm-hmm. But again, like I'm not going to buy 10 different bras over the course of two years. I mean, I'm not going to buy 10 bras period, but like <laughs> also not over the course of two years. So I think the bra buyback idea is amazing. And y'all, I mean, like I would be happy to support anyone who wants to try to pitch that. Cause I think that needs to happen. And I, I don't think anything like that exists mm-hmm. to my knowledge. Even a rent the runway for sports for us. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I mean, I would also say shorts, maybe mm-hmm. that that's, maybe that's like 
trying to do too much at once, but like, <laughs> yeah, the but bump, the, the bump in the booty like, changes. Well, the, the booty, I mean, just everything like quads, everything. Yeah. There are, cha- there are subscription services for some footwear for children because their feet grow so fast. Yes. And so I don't know why this would be any different. Yeah, it's not, Absolutely it's not right. the most and like marketable, like, right. It's not going to make a company a ton of money, but it would help a lot of people. Okay. So what companies want to help us out? Are you going to, are you listening companies? (laughs) Are you going to slide into our DMS? Help us out, help, help a pregnant person out. Okay. We need, we need help with this. I think that that was just really interesting as we kind of, I don't know, I feel like we were spitballing at the end there and we weren't sure if we're going to leave it all in or not, but I think it was really interesting that there are some companies that are making like maternity friendly running apparel and, you know, bras that are really bras and shirts. And, and, uh, actually Alicia Montano, like her company does this right with like clothing that is geared towards mothers. But I feel like that's such an anomaly and that's such an issue. And it like, once again, does not create the space of feeling like good in your body, good in your changing body, like, able to go exercise at all. Like, I feel like that's, that's really like, it's disheartening to hear that this is like clearly such an issue. I agree with you there because I think apparel accessibility is so important, but like you have all these companies making maternity apparel, but the maternity apparel is really expensive too. And so if you have all these other apparel before you're pregnant and then you have to go buy an exuberant amount of really expensive maternity wear so that you feel comfortable in your body and then, you know, go back to the previous apparel or maybe you don't go back to the previous apparel and you have to buy even more apparel because your body changed after pregnancy. That's a lot of money. And, you know, that's not accessible to most of the population. And so figuring out a way to really just like, yeah, have an apparel buyback program or have a company that's, that's okay with the changing body and acknowledging that like, Hey, we know this time of the, the, of your life is, is a, is, you know, comes with a lot of body changes and we're here to support you. And so, you know, we have, you know, discounted apparel or, or ways to send back apparel and we'll send you new apparel if it doesn't fit anymore. And all this kind of stuff would be, would be just so helpful and allow women to really feel comfortable in their body and really get out there and do what they love. Cause there are companies that are doing, you know, like we look at Patagonia's worn wear, Lululemon does like a, like kind of lightly use it. There's a lot of sports, sports apparel and athleisure wear companies that do do like a, a worn wear style, you know, exchange consignment esque esque deal, which does, you know, lower the price. You can get lightly used stuff, but it's definitely not geared towards that audience, the, the pregnancy audience. And I'm wondering if there, I just, I imagine there has to be space for that mm-hmm. somewhere. Once again, that's not even a question. That's mostly just a statement. Um, <laughs> I think that like kind of bridging off of that though, they talked a lot about you know, how once again, just like drilling home that everyone's experience is different. And while, you know, recoveries can be, can be smooth, recoveries can be really slow and, um, recoveries can be really unique and that there are unique challenges associated with postpartum care for women and, and access, right. Another barrier to entry is like, we are sitting in that being like, we're all pretty good medical advocates. Like we can advocate for ourselves. We have high medical literacy, you know, we, we can seek out the best people for us in our communities and not everyone has that either. And I think, you know, Lottie stressed that too, with some of her postpartum challenges and having a really good pelvic floor PT, like, but she had access to that. And how many women, how many people, how many pregnant people going through postpartum don't, do not have access to that. And that also, I mean, we are for a developed country, we have the highest of any developing country. We have the our developed country. We have the highest, I think maternal, maternal, um, 
like death rate essentially, right? Like we don't, we don't, we're not doing so hot in this department on many mm-hmm. fronts at this point. And I just like the barriers to entry stack up and stack up and stack up. And it's, it's really kind of hard to, to see a way, a way out, which seems really dark. And I don't want it to be this dark, this dark, dreary thing. But I do, I do think that stresses the idea of mentorship, the idea of community support, community advocacy and taking care of each other, right? Like how many of us have done a clothing exchange with our friends? Yeah. I have. Yeah. Hand, hands are going up in our, in our listening audience, I'm sure. Um, right. And so it's like, okay, maybe, maybe no one's coming to help us, but we have to, we have to help us again. Right. Like we have to help us when it comes to having clothes that fits in and around pregnancy. We have to help us when it comes to, you know, having recommendations or being able to help someone get in with that, with that pelvic floor PT or that, or that doctor that we know is really good type of thing. Um, and then there's ways that our community can come together to be, to be advocates for one another instead of, you know, hoping that someone's going to come quote unquote, save us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I guess to take this all into a positive note is that there are pelvic floor PTs now and it is gaining popularity and people are talking about it. And so I hope that this continues to be the trajectory where we are talking about the complications that come with pregnancy and we are advocating for care for women who want to be able to use their bodies to their optimum again and, and not like shying away from the, the nuances that pregnancy can bring. So I'd say on a positive note, I'm really glad to start seeing people like this pop up and there's a lot more popularity in this kind of care. And so hopefully as that continues to grow, it's, it does have a trickle down effect and it becomes a little more accessible. We're really excited to bring you some more conversations kind of themed around pregnancy, but also themed around women's health, um, and women's health through various, various times of life, including menopause. Um, so keep your eyes and ears on the lookout for those things coming down the road the rest of the summer. Um, so to wrap things up, we're in a society slam once again, brought to you by our friends over at Aura Ring. I think the theme of maybe this society slam, um, is community, but, uh, I'll let you guys round it out, but I just wanted to start with one, um, with, with one message from this woman, um, Mel. And she said that she, uh, has been listening to our podcast and that she really loves, um, just the information that we're bringing to women and trail running and, uh, she's just inspired by all of us and, and it's helping her, um, through a breast cancer diagnosis. Um, and that might sound, um, sad. It's not meant to, um, she said she, they caught it early, but it's just really helping, um, to provide a virtual community for her, um, and her recovery and what she can kind of focus on. And, you know, as she recovers from this and still has big goals for what she wants to do. So, uh, yeah. Go Mel. We're all, once again, it's kind of the theme is community and like, we're all in your corner. We're all on your team. You're not alone. And that's kind of my society slam was that after we released last week's episode that I think we, we all got very vulnerable on, um, I've just had a really warm outpouring of, um, care and support from our listeners. Um, thank you. It means a lot to, to hear that we resonated with you and that I'm not alone and you're not alone. Um, so keep, keep doing that. I think that's, it's really cool to see the community that we're building and it's, it's one that's incredibly supportive. So thank you for that. Yeah. And I'll kind of echo that the community has been so supportive this week. Um, and they've been supportive to me as well, going through an injury. And I want to do a shout out to everyone who's reached out saying that me talking about the DNF and being pretty open about it has helped them, you know, kind of cope with their DNF that, that really makes me really happy that we can all feel like we're not doing this by ourselves and that DNFs are allowed to be hard. Um, but I also wanted to kind of give a little update. Um, 
I've gotten PRP recently because the MRI showed some gnarly stuff going on. Um, most gnarly was a tear of the medial ligaments that hold that ankle together, um, being the deltoid and spring ligaments, um, pulling off the bone and also tearing from one another. So got some PRP with the hopes that that will kind of give me more, you know, more hope towards recovery. Um, and then I get to walk around Park City in a boot for a while and then hopefully slowly uh, wake myself way back into running shape. But it will be a journey and I'm not going to rush it again. You know, there's no reason to rush right now because I don't want to come back and then be injured again or have reoccurring um, ankle issues. Um, but one thing that I thought was really interesting and kind of want Corinne's and Hillary's opinion on this as well is that once I you know, had a diagnosis and, and was verbal with that to the community around, you know, this was torn, this was avulsed, this was torn, this was swollen, whatever, like the ankle was awful. A lot of people reached out in good intention and in good faith saying that, you know, it was good. I, I pulled out then and this validated me DNFing and I've kind of just had a lot of thoughts around this. I had 12 hours in the car to think about this yesterday. And, and I want to kind of reframe the mindset in the community around this, that, you know, there shouldn't be that validation phase. Like, yeah, I did really mess up my ankle. And, but at the same time, when I was in the race, like I knew I couldn't finish, I knew I couldn't run on my ankle. And so, you know, if my, if my MRI would have said oh, you had a gnarly sprain or it would have said this, or it would have said I broke my ankle to me, it doesn't change my decision to DNF at all, because at the time I couldn't run and I did not see walking the 45 miles to finish being advantageous to my ankle or to, to myself. So, um, just kind of wanted to throw that out there and get you guys thoughts on it because I know it's kind of, you know, we love having validation in this sport. It's like, we're tough, but you know, Oh, we stopped. It has to be because of something super gnarly, but you know, I don't think that's necessarily the case. We're allowed to stop. Yeah. I think that like, I think, you know, off air, I said this and I'll say it on air too. Like that justified your DNF to them but you don't need to justify it. Like you, like you did what you needed to do in that moment. And as you said, it wouldn't have mattered if the MRI came back clean, right? Like it wouldn't have mattered. Like you couldn't do anything in that moment. You made the, you made the right decision in that moment and for that moment. And I think that that's really um, important. And I think that, you know, it, it justifies their rationale around your DNF. And, and while that feels I'm sure good intentioned and supportive. Um, I think there's a, a deeper narrative there that needs to shift within the community. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then one last thing, I guess it did, it did help me justify and remind myself that I know my body better than, than anybody else. So to cut, stop doubting that. Cause for a while there, you know, you go through all sorts of mindset pitfalls where you're like, maybe it was a sprain. Maybe I was being a baby for once. Maybe I made this up in my brain. Maybe I didn't sprain it that bad. Maybe I should have kept going. Right. Like you make up all these things because you're just sitting with it and DNFs are really hard. And, and so I will say that like, it was a good reminder that like, I, I need to trust myself, um, that I know my body better than, than anybody else. And like, that's, that's good enough. So. Amen. <laughs> or, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not religious, but amen. Um, okay. I think we're going to leave you there for today. I hope you enjoyed this discussion and this interview um it was a pleasure to have liz and ladia for them to give us their time um to share their wisdom with us um i hope that you all now have them as as mentors in your life people to look up to as you walk through these next chapters that you may be entering um as always slide into our dms ask us your questions we're here for you we're on your team and until next time we'll see you on the trails